Can we give our creative team a hand? I mean, that's the third time I've heard that bumper, and what a great intro to this whole message series. And you're going to find that the extraordinary figures of faith are really just ordinary people uh, who make a lot of mistakes, who do a lot of things that are crazy, but they never give up on believing in an extraordinary God. So I want to give you that message today, no matter what you've done, I say this all the time, but where you've been, or maybe you came in today going, you know what, I've given up on that, God's given up on me, I've given up on me, I'm here to tell you that God is not done with you. And I don't care what other people have said to you, maybe they said, no, but you need to go on, and you've done some incredibly bad things, he is not done. And you're going to see a guy today that if anybody had the right to give up and quit, it's this guy. Because he's a central figure in the Old Testament, and he's a guy that all of you know. Uh, he's King David. King David, I mean, the guy, okay? Uh, at 16 years of age, he killed a bear and a lion while he was protecting the sheep. I mean, at 16, I was afraid of the dark, okay? Uh, he went down in the valley and killed a giant with a sling and a stone. At 30 years of age, he became the king of Israel and brought the Ark of the Covenant and raised the lost Ark, brought the covenant back to Jerusalem, and they named the city after him. I mean, they called Jerusalem the city of David. It'd be like calling Hattiesburg the city of Craig, you know, or, or one of our other pastors, the city, Tyler, the city of you know, the city of Wiggins. And the reality is this guy did amazing things until he didn't. And some of these things you've never heard before. And I'm going to have to clean them up a little bit so that you can receive them because when you think of David, man, you think of all the good things. But there was a time in his life where David kind of took his eyes off God. He stopped pursuing God. He stopped, you know, doing the things that God had called him to do. At 58 years of age, get this, David seduced a 25-year-old married woman and brought her into the palace, and she got pregnant, and he killed her husband who was off in battle. Take that. You're going, you mean David did that? King David? King David had all these kids, and, and, and he loved them. I'm sure he loved them, but there was a time when Amnon, one of the sons, he wanted like to be with his sister. I know that's crazy, Tamar. And he assaulted her, and the other, the other brother, Absalom, was so angry at his brother that he killed him. And David did nothing. David is writing today from a cave where he is hiding out because Absalom, his son, has overthrown his kingdom and is actually in the palace with all of David's wives. And I tell you all that because some of you are going like, well, hey, I've done this and I've done that, and everybody in your family says, you're no good, there's no hope for you, you can't do this. And God is saying, if you will turn to me, if you will call out to me, if you will seek me, you will find me if you seek me with all of your heart. I'm telling you, God put this message on my heart and it's a passage I have never seen before. And a phrase that jumped out at me that will be my life phrase from now on. Psalm chapter 61, David is in a cave 
And he begins to shout out and cry out to God because he is looking for a road to restoration. And, and no matter how old you are, no, no, you know, if you're, you're 75 years old, and man, you have made a shambles of your family and of your marriage and your grandkids won't speak to you, it is not too late to turn and go to God. Psalm chapter 61, I want you to hear what David says. He cries out to God from this cave. Now, he's probably in his 60s, probably 62, 63. And he cries out to God. He says, hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer from the ends of the earth. I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Here's the phrase. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. And I long to dwell in your tent, God, forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. For you, God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Increase the days of the king's life, his years for many generations. May he be enthroned in God's presence forever. Appoint your love and faithfulness to protect him. Then I will ever sing your praise, and the praises of your name, and fulfill my vows day after day. And you're like, well, what does all that mean? Well, I'm going to unpack it for you because it's really interesting that David is at a place where he begins to have perspective on his life for the very first time. He, he says, God, I want you to lead me to the rock that is higher than me. Now, now, for you and me, that didn't mean anything because we drove up here and we walked in the, you know, the shortest route, sitting the closest seat. And, but but in, in the Old Testament days, wherever you went, you walked typically. And in Palestine, there's all of these, the, these rocks and these hills and these caves. Uh, Bin Laden hid out in these caves for a long time. You know that story. And, and so he is saying, uh, God, I want you to lead me to the rock that is higher than me so I can have perspective so I can see what is going on in my life. And, and I'm giving you a great gift today because for some of you, uh, you're right at the point where you're about to make some terrible decisions and, and you don't realize you're on the precipice and I am challenging you to get perspective on your life. For some of you, you have fallen off the wagon and you're at a place where David is where, where you've got to get perspective and find out exactly what's going on. And David begins to look at his life. And David realizes the mistakes that he's made and how terrible the decisions are that have affected his family. Now listen, that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. When you get into a place where you can see all the things that you've done and you go, hey, I can take responsibility for that, I can take responsibility for that, uh, that's what I did and that caused that, man, that's a good place. Because when you get perspective on your life and the decisions that you've made that have hurt you and the people that you love, now you've got a chance. Now you've got a chance to change the direction of your life. And, and I say this because so many people, they get to this point and they just give up. They, well, I've already done this, so I'll just keep going. I mean, well, you know, if I've, they already think I'm this way, I'll just keep going this way. No. No, God's given you a perspective. 
That this whole message is for someone here. I mean, it's like I am speaking directly to you where God is saying you get up a little bit higher and look at your life. See the things that you've done. Take ownership of the things that you've done so that you can make amends so that you can move forward. Now, I tell you all the time I've got friends in low places, and I really do. Uh, years ago, I had a friend of mine, and he uh, was sent to a maximum security prison for trafficking cocaine. And, um, you know, I was very interested in his, in his story, of course, and, and we were talking, and I asked him, I said, well, man, how did you... How did you manage to get here? I mean, that, that is a Terry told me all the stories and all the things that had happened and all the things that he had done. And, and he just kind of slowly slid off, you know, into all these things and the wrong people in the wrong time doing the wrong things. He said, well, I was, I was sitting on my bunk in this maximum security prison and all this stuff was going on around me. And he said, you know, my greatest decisions, my greatest ideas have landed me right here. It's perspective. He said, for the first time in my life, I realized that, that I, I couldn't stop myself from going in the, the wrong direction. So I got on my knees and I cried out to God. I said, God, if you're there, save me. Save me, help me. He said, God, save me. He said, God, changed my life. He said, for the first time, I had peace that I had never had before. Listen, if you want perspective, if, you, if you're serious about your life and you want to move forward with your life, let me give you four questions that will help you get perspective on your life where you get serious about the quality of your life. Here's the first question. Number one, who are the five people you spend the most time with? You are the sum total of the five people that you spend all of your time with. Matter of fact, if I could have your friends, you know, therefore your friends, and get them in a room, and I could ask them a few questions and, and ask them kind of what they think and what they do and where they go and, and what their beliefs are, I can turn around and tell you exactly who you are. You are the sum total of the people you run with. You say, no, they're not affecting me. No, they're not affecting Yeah, they are too. Yeah. You, you show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Here's the second question. How's your marriage? Oh, I don't mean that thing where you come into church and you go, hey, how y'all doing? And y'all been in a fist fight, you know, trying to get her into the car to get her. I know how that works. Coming in on one wheel, the kids are crying, and, you know, the wife's upset, and you're upset, and, you know, and then you're kind of pushing her out the car, like, it's about, get out there, get out there and worship some Jesus. And then you get to church, hey, y'all, hi. God's blessing on you. No, how are you really doing? Man, work on your marriage. 41 years in August, August the 14th. And man, it has never been this good. I'm telling you, I'm looking forward to the day when I wake up on a Sunday morning and I tell Alicia, I'm not going today. And she goes, okay, don't go. This morning she goes, you got to go. You're preaching. <laughs> How's your marriage? Work on your marriage. Number three, what secrets are you keeping? You're only as strong as your secrets. You're only as confident as your secrets. Here's the fourth one. This really got me. Um, what are you pretending is not a big deal? That's a big deal that's hurting you. 
See, when you get perspective and you have time to think about your life, then all of a sudden you see cracks in the armor. You see cracks in the foundation. You know there's something that's going on that needs to be dealt with. If you don't fix this, there's going to be a real problem. So David says, hey, and I want you to think this in your mind. Lead me to the rock that is higher than me. Give me perspective so that I can see what is going on in my life and then find a place where you feel protected. David said, you're my refuge. You're my, you're my rock. He, he said, I want you to hide me beneath your wings. You know why? When you begin to confess the things in your life that are shameful and hurtful, you, you don't need criticism. You need comfort. When you're crying out, you don't need to say, just stop crying. You, you, you need comfort. You, you need to be loved. And, and the reason I think more, more times than not that we don't go to people and tell them is because we don't, we don't feel protected. There was something that happened with me and Alicia, you know, a year ago or two years ago, or I forgot when it was. And, and there was something going on that I felt real convicted about. And God was like, you need to tell your wife. You know, she, she's your wife. You know, she's your, she's your best half. You know, she, she is like your best friend. I kept thinking, I'm not telling her that. I'm not telling her that. I'm not telling her that. I mean, I'm not telling her that. That's embarrassing. I'm not telling her that. I'm not telling her that. Well, I sat down, and all of a sudden, my mouth started moving. You ever had that experience? And, and I started, you know, confessing stuff. And I'm like, wait, ho, ho. I'm, I'm, <laughs> And she put her arm on my shoulder and she said, honey, I'm so sorry. What can I do to help you? I'm going to tell you, the shame just flowed out of me into the abyss. To have a place where you feel protected, where, where, where you can share your inmost thoughts. See, that's what I've wanted for church. I want church to be a place where, where you feel like you can share your heart and you can be loved and you can be cared for. Not a place where you can just kind of waltz in and sit in a row and then you're like never tell anybody anything and go out and be the same as you were before you came in. No, a place, a healing place, a place of miracles where you can be in a house church and you can share your heart. You can say, I am struggling. You say, well, I don't, I don't trust the people in my house church. Well, go tell them. If there's a girl in your house church that's gossiping, just go say, hey, look, I really want to share my heart, but you tell everything that comes into your head. It comes out of your mouth. That's a good way to get rid of her. <laughs> Strengthen your house church. One less hot dog you got to prepare on Wednesday night. I mean, I mean, at, at the end of every service, we, we, we give you an opportunity. Man, it is wide open down here. We got criticized for 20 years about not having an invitation. Now it's an invitation every week to pray and take the Lord's Supper. And I was like, well, I can't believe you let them do that. This ought to be a safe place. Find somebody you trust and go to lunch with them. Find a counselor that, that you believe can help you and go and share every single thing that is inside you that needs to be dealt with. Learn to come apart before you come apart. You know who said that first? God. Top 10 commandments. Remember the Sabbath day, the day set apart. And keep it holy. Why? Because you can't get whole in a hurry. 
The brokenness in your life and the challenges in your life, you, you can't deal with if you every weekend you've got to go here and we got to go there and we got to go here and we got to go there. There's a ping pong championship in New Jersey for my six-year-old and we got to travel there. We got to have a new ping pong paddle and we got to go over there. You don't have time to deal with anything. You're exhausted. It's taking a toll on your marriage. It's taking a toll on your children. Listen, you need a safe place where you can push pause, where you can be around other people who get you, who love you, who are willing to expend the time to dig you out of the rubble. The Syrian earthquake that happened a few weeks ago, do you remember seeing that? Thousands and thousands were killed, man. It broke my heart. And there were all these people, these rescuers that were digging through the rubble, trying to find people. And I'm thinking, man, you ain't gonna find nobody under there. I mean, that's, you're wasting your time. Then all of a sudden, they showed a video up close of this, of this rescuer and these people, and they're, they're uncovering like, like an excavation dig, and, and they're around a little face of a little baby. I'm not kidding. I was watching it thinking, you've got to be kidding me. Then all of a sudden, the baby started crying, and everybody cheered, and everybody celebrated. Friends, that's what church is to be like. Or you understand that, that when you come to know Jesus, well, I'm unchurched. Well, now I'm church, so what do I do? You're a rescuer. You're either the mission of the church or a missionary of the church. And you're finding people that are under the rubble of life. I have never seen people under more pressure than they are right now. Dying for somebody to just move a rock, to just push it aside, to just care about them, to just listen to them. She said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened down, and I'll give you rest. You, you need a place to be protected. Your home ought to be a safe place. You ought to have at least one friend that you can tell anything to that, that, that can pray for you and encourage you and love you. You said, well, well, why do I need to do all that? Because you need to get back on the pursuit See, David had stopped pursuing God. I mean, it's all, all kinds of people. I mean, I see this with, with people around us in our community where, where, you know, you've done your time. I kept the nursery. I kept the nursery back in when I did. If somebody, it's one of them young people's turns. And more importantly, if you're young and you've got 10 kids, we need some help. Where you begin to pursue God again. He says, God, I want to be in your tent. That, that, that's, not, that's not glamping. That's not a glamorous thing where you're out, you know. No, no, when you're in the tent in the Old Testament, you were on mission with God. It's like the children of Israel in the wilderness where, where there was a cloud of fire by night and a cloud by day, and when it moved, they moved, and when it stopped, they stopped. He says, I want to pursue you. I, I want to pursue your plan for my life. See, listen to me. He said, well, I'm 50. That's, I'm going to tell you, that's nothing. I'm 90. Well, now you're about gone. But, but, but here's the thing. It, I'm sorry, that wasn't right. That wasn't in the notes. And I don't, if you're 90, thank you for coming to church. But if you're not dead, God's not done. If you're not dead, God is not done with you. And I'm here to tell you no matter what you've done or where you've been, God wants you to pursue him. Well, I don't know what I can do. Well, you can pray. 
Man, that's everything. I mean, you can say a kind word. I mean, I mean God has a purpose for your life. Listen, I found my purpose for my life when I was 14 years old. In the midst of a great tragedy in my family, I began to sense that God had a purpose for my life. He's got a purpose for you. You were made on purpose for a purpose. God has a plan for you. You say, well, well, I'm over 50. Can I just say, if you're over 50, between 50 and 120, listen, thank you so much for not stopping fulfilling your purpose here on this earth. Well, when they bring out those drums and start playing the drums loud, I'm thinking, more cowbell, more cowbell. Most people are saying, can you tone it down? But you're willing week after week to serve, to give, to help. And if you're here, and maybe, maybe you have made some terrible mistakes, listen, your failure is not final. Because God has a plan for you. He's got a purpose for your life. Ephesians 2.10, I love what Paul says. He says, you are God's masterpiece. You are God's workmanship. You are God's poem that you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God planned beforehand for you to do. God's got a purpose for your life. I mean, listen, if you don't fulfill your purpose, listen to me, if you don't have a purpose for your life, you will always immediately go to pleasure. You'll say, hey, I don't have a purpose, I'm gonna go to pleasure. And the things that begin to happen in your life they just, just multiply. Paul said this. He said, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it to finish the work God has given me to do. And, and without purpose, man, you, you immediately go to pleasure. Acts 13, 36. When David had served God's purpose, he fell asleep. Even at 62 years of age, David had 10 more years. And in that time, he brought together the kingdom. He established Solomon as the leader. He, he proposed all the, the drawings for the temple. Solomon wrote three books of the Bible in the last 10 years of David's life. He's not done with you. He's got more for you. And he says, take the rock that's higher than you. Get some perspective. Get, get in a safe place where you feel protected so you can begin to pursue the purpose that God has given you. came across this this morning, and I told the staff, when I find these things at the last minute, they're terrified. But I thought it kind of summed it all up in words that, that we understand. I have this thing where I get older, but just never wiser. Midnight's become my afternoons when my depression works the graveyard shift. And all the people I've ghosted stand there in the room. I should not be left to my own devices. They come with prices and vices, and I end up in crisis. I love that. Kind of rise back and forth. Anybody heard that song before? You have one mom has heard that. Okay? It's Taylor Swift. Uh, it's me, hi, I'm the problem. What do you mean? You, you're worth a billion dollars, Tyler. It's me. At tea time, everybody agrees. I'll stare directly at the sun, but never in the mirror. It must be exhausting, always rooting for the anti-hero. 
Listen, when you understand God has a plan for your life, and you stop looking around for somebody else to do the things that God has called you to do, and you get perspective, God begins to work in you in some amazing ways. I'm going to ask you to bow your head for just a moment and close your eyes. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you just emotionally and mentally and spiritually to go to the rock that is higher than you for just a moment and get perspective on your life on your marriage, on the things in your life that need to be dealt with and understand that you're in a safe place. You're in a safe place to struggle. You're in a safe place to know that God loves you. He's not given up on you. He's got a plan for your life. Father, I thank you today that even though we as humans will give up on people and cash them in and throw them away, that, Father, for your children who are willing to repent, you never abandon them. And, God, I pray today that your Holy Spirit might speak into our hearts, that, God, you might show us again with clarity the purpose you have for our time here on this earth. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Venture Church Podcast. To find a campus near you, check out VentureChurch.org.